Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome back to The Conversation. This episode is sponsored by my virtual workshop, Rewriting Your Money Story. Now, this is going to be live on November 27th and 28th, 2021. And if you're listening to this after the fact, the course will be available. Now, this is free for those of you that are involved in my membership program, The Vault. It's also available just as a standalone course or a standalone workshop. For details, you can go to yesdaniel.com backslash money. That is yesdaniel.com backslash money. And of course, the link will be in the show notes. Now, this particular episode, I'm going to talk about your money story. Whether or not you have a story, where this story may have originated, and how you've put it together, and the effects on your money relationship, your experience of money from day to day, from year to year. So first things first, do you have a money story? And the answer is yes. You have a story of why things are the way they are. Now, most people are not conscious, at least not of the majority of the story. You may have ideas and insights to different aspects of what's going on, but most people are not aware, not consciously aware of the stories, the mindsets, the beliefs, and the perspectives that they hold about money that end up defining every aspect of your relationship. You see, this story that we tell ourselves, the beliefs that we hold, the perspectives that we we view money through, operate in the background like a computer program And it influences every decision that you make, every idea, every perspective, every emotion that you have attached to money, which guides every action or inaction. It governs whether or not you bring money in really quickly or you struggle to make it. It dictates whether or not you are the effect of other people's decisions or you write your own ticket. You decide how much you can make. See, this story also determines how much you can make, how much is possible for you to make. And then once you attract money, how long can you hang on to it? Do you save it? Do you invest it? Do you spend it? Is money to be used for life's pleasures, for just basic maintenance? Are you tight with money or are you loose with money? Are you fiscally responsible or irresponsible? So, okay, Maybe I have a money story and it determines a lot of aspects about my relationship with money. So where did this story come from? By and large, it comes from your childhood. It's an amalgamation of your parents' ideas and concepts and energy around money, their beliefs and your grandfather and grandmother's beliefs, your lineage, your family tree, depending on what they had to go through, Some of it is genetic. Some of it is actually born into your DNA. And while this isn't going to be an extensive uh, treatise on uh, epigenetics, if you want to know more, you can investigate epigenetics. And on the genetic side, it's whether or not you live in scarcity or abundance. What is your emotional temperament around money? 
around getting the things that you want? Does it feel like a struggle? Does life feel like a struggle to you? Or does it feel like grace in ease? See, my father was born in 1934. He was a child or a product of the Depression. While he didn't grow up in the thrust of it, he grew up in the aftermath. And so this attitude that of safety and security around money was not there. And by consequence, some of those ideas and concepts that he grew up with were passed along to me. So let me clarify this. We attract these beliefs and ideas a few different ways as a child. Understand that as a child, you are in a hypnogogic state. You're basically in trance. While your mind is developing and you're learning about your environment, we learn things in a particular way. We learn through imitation. We actually adopt the patterns and ways of being of our parents. We adopt their emotional temperament around different ideas. Again, I want to remind you that as a child, you were in trance. You were in almost deep hypnosis. And everything that's said, everything that's felt, every conversation filters in at a deeper level. When something is stated about money, it's not just an opinion. It's not just something someone says. It enters your mind as fact. And it could be way off. And more often than not, it's way off. It's just somebody else's story, somebody else's perspective. And we either adopt it and we imitate it and then incorporate it into our behavior. Or we polarize against it, meaning that we do the opposite. We might have looked at the family dynamic and the relationship to money and said, that didn't work, obviously, and then adopted a completely different or a polar approach to money. And sometimes it's just a knee-jerk reaction, and we haven't given the full consideration of that opposite position. Now, in a little bit, I'll tell you a story about how I did that, how I created a polarizing position about money, and how has it affected my life and my relationship with money for the bulk of my adult life. But before I get to that story, I want to expand on this whole childhood uh, involvement in creating your story. But before we get to that, I want to talk more about how we create our money story. So it's not just our parents. It's not just our, our grandparents or our family lineage. It can be environmental. It can be in our community the community concepts about money. It can be things you heard from quote-unquote experts about money that fed into this story. It can be your early experiences, perhaps your, your first paycheck or your first money that you earned. How did you treat that? How did you utilize it? For instance, when I was about seven or eight, I actually mowed the lawn for a neighbor and I made $2 for mowing the lawn. I was so thirsty at the end of mowing that lawn that I took the $2 and I walked down to the Texaco gas station and I got change for one of the dollars. I got 10 dimes and then I spent that dime and bought a bottle of Coca-Cola. Now, I was so parched and I have to tell you, nothing has tasted better since than that Coca-Cola and I drank all 10 ounces all at once. It was sweet. It was ice cold. It was perfect. I thought it was the most logical investment at that moment. Well, I get back home and my dad asked to see the money that I made. 
He asked me, how much did he pay you? I said, $2. I said, but I have $1.90 left. He said, what happened to the 10 cents? And I said, I was so thirsty that I, I went down and bought a bottle of Coke. And he made this statement to me. And I didn't realize the impact at the time, but it was impactful. And he made this statement, and I'm sure that he thought he was giving me a teaching moment. But he said this to me. He said, you didn't even have that money for five minutes, and it was burning a hole in your pocket, and you had to spend it. And the power of that statement was that there was nothing false about it. I had the money. It was my own money. I wanted to spend it, and I had an immediate need. Now, I got a lot of pleasure out of spending that money on that bottle of Coke. And what I didn't realize it at the time, that I was associating pleasure with spending. And my young hypnotic mind took my dad's statement as fact. And ever since, it's been easier to spend money than to save it. There was many, many years, if I had some discretionary income, it did not go to savings. I looked for ways to spend it. I looked for ways to get rid of it. And if I'm truthful, before I rewrote my money story, I burned through hundreds of thousands of dollars spent enjoyably in many cases, but with not a lot to show for it. So I guess now is as good a time as any for me to reveal the story that of how I polarized against my, my dad's view of money. Well, I was born about a year and a half after my parents got married, and times were tough, times were lean in those early years. My dad was working at Fisher Body, and then GM actually laid him off. So he was without a job, and we still had bills to pay. We had the house payment, we had groceries, and my dad was under a noticeable amount of stress. I can remember him saying specifically to me one time that he made $60 a week. Now, remember, this is the early 1960s. And as a child, I asked, is that a lot? He said, well, it's not enough. He said, my expenses are $80 a week, and I'm only making 60 my dad knew to the penny what was going in, what was coming out, how much each meal cost, what each ingredient in that meal cost. Now, as an adult, I understand that when uh, times are tough, when times are lean, more expenses than money coming in, that frustration can get high, anger can ensue, and invariably from time to time, my parents would argue, and I don't even know about what specifically, I just knew at the heart of it was money, the lack of money. And my parents seldom argued. But in those early years, when it happened, it was about money. Now, I think I was about six on one particular argument that hit me particularly hard. I, it was just hard to listen to, hard to be with. And I hit around the corner and I knew the argument was about money. And I can remember saying to myself, vividly, I will never make money that important. And I didn't for a long time. I also unknowingly took an assessment of how focused my dad was on money, just making ends meet. Now, understand that I'm the oldest of five kids in, that were in our household. My mother had given birth to four boys within five years. 
And my father was committed that we always have shoes, that we always have food on the table. And honestly, as a child, I don't remember going without. Now, there were times when I didn't get a Christmas gift, or at least not anything close to what I wanted or desired. And I was often told, when I wanted something, we can't afford it. But for the most part, I got, I, I was taken care of more than adequately. Now, when I was 10, my dad had shifted his money story from lack to that of accumulating money, making money. But unbeknownst to me, the bulk of my money story had already been written. Now, my dad got paid by the hour. So in order to make more money at that time, he worked more hours, premium hours. Now, he worked skilled trades for General Motors, and he could make more per hour by working third shift. So, of course, he did. He worked seven days a week, 12 hours a day. Every ounce of overtime he could get, he worked. He worked every holiday because he could make triple time or three times the hourly wage. I rarely remember my dad taking a day off for himself, taking a vacation for himself, even buying anything for himself. So by the time I was a teen, my unwritten story, my relationship with money, had been written. If I got money, I couldn't hang on to it. Money was also associated to being uncomfortable, arguments. I didn't like to talk about money, think about money, because that was associated with my dad being stressed. And I perceived my dad as giving up much of the joy of life in order to make money. So I had a story that I polarized against where I would enjoy money. I did not make money that important. Now, I wanted to make money. I wanted to have money to support my lifestyle. But I didn't become a maven of money. I didn't make money work for me. I was in the business of working for money, working to create a lifestyle. I had unknowingly fallen into a dysfunctional mindset, a dysfunctional relationship with money. Now, over the years, I've identified three dysfunctional mindsets around money. Dysfunctional in the sense that they aren't fulfilling long-term. You know, adopting a particular mindset may get you money, but it doesn't necessarily bring it in the way you want or allow you to keep it as long as you want it or utilize it in a way that really works for you long-term. So the first mindset, and this is the mindset I fell into, the first dysfunctional mindset is a passive-aggressive relationship with money. It's a love-hate relationship. You avoid talking about it, you avoid thinking about it, you avoid investments or learning about it, because frankly, you're uncomfortable even thinking about money. So we avoid the topic. We avoid directly confronting our money story. And we do that just as a passive aggressive avoids conflict. And our financial situation, more often than not, bothers us. It's a concern. It actually creates a lot of stress and anxiety. But in many cases, directly confronting the money situation and doing something about it is more uncomfortable than living with the stress and living with the anxiety. There is a sense of resignation that it is what it is. And many times there is money coming in. There's money flowing in and there's money going out almost as fast as it comes in. 
you may not know how much is in your bank account, and you may not be thinking long-term. It's more immediate gratification. You'll spend money on things that cause an emotional upliftment, and you're not really tied to the long-term consequence of going into debt. Now, I did say that there was a love-hate relationship, and I don't see hate as being the opposite of love. I see it as being frustrated love. Now, I wanted to like money. I, I really wanted to utilize it, but I found it boring. The emotional association to money, working with money, just didn't inspire me. And why was that? Well, it was a result of the story that I was telling about money and the negative associations that I had adopted along the way in thinking about money, working on money, trying to trying to accumulate money, and the positive association with spending money. So until I made the decision to confront my money story, get to the root of it, and rewrite and recreate my relationship with money, it was quite dysfunctional. And when I say that, it wasn't really, you know, dysfunctional from the outside, but from the inside, my own experience of money, accumulating money and having extra money, an overflow of money, that just wasn't there then. Now, there's some other beliefs that also fall into this category. They're beliefs that I didn't particularly hold, but it's being envious of other people that have money, jealous of people that have accumulated riches, actually putting the rich down. And you hear it in society. You hear it from other people, like talking about, you know, Jeff Bezos right now is worth $200 billion. Now, he earned it. And it just proves to me that it's possible to make a lot of money providing value to other people. And I have no problems with Jeff Bezos enjoying every cent that he's earned. But there's the political argument that we need to heavily tax the rich, that they don't share. It has this, you know, this idea that the rich are greedy, that they're selfish. And from this mindset comes the idea that we should just take all the accumulated wealth and distribute it among everyone equally. We could do that. It, we could do that with everyone would get something in their pocket. But you know what? In a few years, all the money would end up back in the hands of the people that know how to make it and have a positive relationship with money. And you've all heard it before. People win the lottery. And within 10 years, they've lost it all. After 20 years, they have nothing to show for winning millions and millions of dollars. Because while they got the money, they didn't have the mindset to keep it, to make it grow. And here's another belief inside this mindset. There's an idea that if only I had a million dollars, then all my problems would go away. This idea that money solves problems. And while that's true in some respects, that money does alleviate a lot of the day-to-day -day issues, once you accumulate a certain amount of money, those problems may go away. You actually have a whole new set of problems that you have to deal with. The second dysfunctional mindset I call the value paradox. And it's the idea that your value as a person, your worth, status, and power are tied to how much money you have. Now, people that live in this paradox or operate from this mindset tend to accumulate a higher than average income, a higher than the average amount of net worth, because it's a driving force of inner fulfillment, which is never quenched. 
never completely fulfilled. In this idea, your value as a mate, as attractiveness to the opposite sex or to a partner, in your mind is directly related to how much money you have, how productive and valuable you are in the marketplace. And one of the ways that you convey your value is by buying and displaying expensive things, expensive cars, expensive clothes, flaunting an expensive lifestyle, sometimes going beyond your means in order to project the right image. If asked how much you make, you tend to overinflate the numbers to appear more valuable, more powerful, higher status. Now, one caveat to this is maybe you don't spend a lot of money on accumulating things. You project a certain lifestyle, a certain amount of freedom that you have because of the money that you have, because of the money that you have access to. Now, the emotional atmosphere underneath this uh, mindset is that you're never quite sure whether people love you for who you are or for what you can provide. You may attract people in certain circumstances where people are trying to get money out of you. Because why? Your story is your value is only in the money that you can provide. Only because of the amount of money you have access to. So you tend to attract people that value you just for your money. Or you may even perceive people that they just want you for your money. That if you didn't have your money, they wouldn't want anything to do with you. And this may not need to be said, but at the core of it is a feeling of inadequacy, that I'm not enough, that it is only because of the amount of money that I make or have access to that gives me value. At the heart of it, there may even be self-loathing. And unfortunately, there is a higher priority on making money than in maintaining the relationships in your life. Because in your mind, you wouldn't have the relationships if you didn't have the money. The third dysfunctional mindset I'll call the money grubber. And this, on the surface, appears to be one of the more desirable ones because this person is frugal, they're penny-wise, they save, they're meticulous about how they spend money, how they invest it. They're conservative, to be sure. When they're asked about you know, how much money they make, they will under-report or plead the fifth. I'm not talking about it. They don't want people to know how much money they have. They're highly secretive about their dealings in money, the investments that they make. They don't like to parade it around. They tend not to do risky things with their money. They're, like I said, quite conservative. They can make the people in their lives somewhat miserable because it's all about the dime. It's all about the money, how much they're spending, how much they're saving. Every decision has a cost analysis associated with it. They tend to not take vacations, not to indulge themselves, or even spend on themselves. For a metaphor, you could think of Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge, from A Christmas Carol. Someone that was very wealthy, yet lived in abject poverty every day, miserly. The emotional driver in this mindset is fear. Fear of not having enough, not being secure enough, to doing without. It's fear of poverty. Okay, that was a short synopsis of the origin of money stories, the fact that they're there and they do impact every area of your life, every dealing with money. And it's not just money, but it's how you invest your time. It's how you invest your energy. 
you invest it in the same mindset that you have with money. And it's possible that you may have recognized yourself in one or more of those dysfunctional mindsets. And I only say that they're dysfunctional because they don't give you long-term satisfaction. And while one or more may provide you with more than enough money to do the things you want, there is an underlying sense of dissatisfaction. And that is why there are some people that can be filthy rich, yet totally unhappy with their life. Because they've made associations with money that don't lead to happiness. The antithesis, or what I consider the desired mindset, compared to the other three, is the wealth mindset. And I'll go into the wealth mindset in a future episode. And I'll definitely be talking about it and covering the wealth mindset inside my workshop, Rewriting Your Money Story. But this episode gives you the opportunity to begin looking at your money story and how it may be impacting your life and your finances. Begin asking the question, what was the feeling about money like in the home where I grew up? What was the feeling about spending money? What was the feeling about saving money? Were my parents great savers or were we living paycheck to paycheck? What is your earliest memories about money? What messages did your mother or your father pass down to you about money? Now, the messages that are passed down to you are different than the lessons that they taught you. It's kind of the implied lesson or the implied message underneath the behavior that's there. What did you learn about money by observing the way your parents handled money? Do you remember hearing your parents talk about or fight about money? Was it a source of contention in the house? And then what was it like for you when you first discovered that your status in life was different than that of, say, a friend of yours who may have had less or more money than you. So as you ask these questions, you can begin to get a sense of where your story comes from, what your story consists of. You see, the first thing that we need to do in rewriting our money story is understanding the story that's already there. What beliefs are there currently? What ideas and perceptions do we have about money. And then we begin rewriting it in a way that supports you to create the financial future that you desire. That is, if your current financial situation is not in alignment with what you think is possible. To make it easier to ask these questions, I've put them all in a worksheet for you that you can download by going to yesdaniel.com backslash money. And again, the link is in the show notes. Now, before I leave you, I have a word of caution as you begin investigating your money story. Understand that there's a certain amount of shame that could come up because you're embarrassed about how you handle money or your response to money or what you've made money mean. There may be a tendency to blame your parents or blame your upbringing, but I suggest you just look at it as information, as an observer, and remove the emotional component out of it. Just like, oh, I got this pattern that I picked up from my parents. That explains a lot. Or you can say, given the examples that I had in handling money, it's no wonder that I made the decisions that I did and I have the experience with money that I currently have today. You see, it's just a matter of taking inventory of where you currently are. It's like the GPS example. 
when you program in where you want to go, the GPS takes an accounting of where you currently are, and then it plots a course from where you are now to where you want to go. It is not concerned with where you've been. It's not concerned with the story about how you got to where you are. It's just a matter of fact. This is where I am. This is where I want to go. And then, as far as the money story goes, we create a story that gets you from here to there. So, my friend, be gentle with yourself. Be gentle in your inquiry. Look at it as just an inquiry. I wonder where this story came from. I wonder what is my relationship with money. Just look at it from a very objective point of view. As an impartial observer, no real investment. You're just looking for information. But even so, even if you can take the position as an impartial observer, it does take a certain amount of courage to even to begin looking at your money story, because your relationship with money is interwoven into every aspect of your life. And sometimes we don't even look. We don't even ask the question about our money story. Because frankly, we don't want to see what's under the covers. We don't want to see what's hidden in the shadows. And this is where I think it's important that you acknowledge that it is just a story. It's just some ideas that you've adopted along the way. It's not necessarily true. You've been operating as if it is true. That's what people do. But in your looking, in your investigating. You actually come to a point where you can rewrite it. You can create a new story, a new relationship with money. You can actually create a dream relationship as you move forward in life. Today, we investigated the origin or the potential origin of your money story. We talked about the three dysfunctional mindsets in dealing with money. Now, in this episode, I just addressed those with broad strokes. There's more specifics underneath each mindset that may influence your relationship with money. Now, in addition to these mindsets, we also have our capacity. You know, how much is possible for us? How much are we comfortable making? You might be saying, well, "I'm comfortable with making a lot of money, a lot of money." Well, reconsider that. Consider right now whatever your income is, doubling it, then tripling it. And then 10 times the amount you're currently making. Does that seem realistic? Does it seem possible to you? See, the bigger the number goes, the less comfortable we are that it is a real possibility for us. So, you have a a ceiling to the limit on how much you're willing or able to make. You have maximum limits and minimum limits. Like what is the minimum amount that you're comfortable with having in your bank account, in your checking account? Now, some people can be comfortable writing a check for more than they currently have knowing that they have overdraft protection other people never have less than $1000 available or $5000 and if it gets below that they freak out and they say i need to make some money i need to rebuild this stash so understand that you have maximum and minimum limits in your mind that you're comfortable with that are part of your money story and then again are the beliefs and ideas of how easy is it for you to make money for instance if you had to come up with $10,000 by the end of the week is that doable or would you consider it an impossibility is your money story based in abundance or scarcity i think you're beginning to get the picture there's a lot of different dimensions a lot of different aspects facets 
to your money story. And to make it a little bit more complex, most of our story isn't even a full story. It's just snippets and ideas that we've pieced together to form some type of feeling or sensation or uh, narrative around money. And once we really look at the dynamics of the story, we find out that many of the statements, many of the ideas are just simply ill-formed concepts. And you'll find as you investigate your money story, then you drag these out into the open, into the daylight, and you begin challenging them, many of them will fall away. Many of these ideas that are ill-formed and do not support a well-rounded relationship with money, a wealth mindset, once identified, can easily be rewritten. If you want to change your financial destiny and rewrite your money story, check out my workshop at yesdaniel.com. You can learn more about the virtual workshop, Rewriting Your Money Story, or gain access to my online membership called The Vault, where you'll have access to not only rewriting your money story, but a number of other courses as well. Well, my friend, that's a wrap for this episode. This is your host, Daniel DeNovi, urging you to follow your bliss, live your life from inner signals, and make your journey an epic adventure.